Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Today I Learned Disney. Thanks so much for joining us again today. And if you're new, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening. We're going to start this week with a quick follow-up from our last episode. The last time we spoke, we were talking about how it's crazy that Halloween time is already here at Disney World in particular. It's almost at Disneyland. It'll be in Disneyland in, in a few weeks. But... We had known people, my sister in particular, had gone to the very first Mickey's Halloween party, in, or Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween party in Walt Disney World, and since that time, I've checked back in, back in with her to hear how it went and to hear, you know, if it was strange to be there this early on in the year when it's, you know, Halloween, not Halloween. is not Halloween, Halloween is for two more months, and I asked and I texted her and I said, how, how was it being at Disney so early for Mickey's Halloween party, and her response was, oh, it was Mickey's oh-so-crowded Halloween party. Oh, no. So, so yeah, still, even when it's starting this early, apparently it was, even though it started this early, they are still overselling this, these events. There's still way too many people in the parks, and they're still selling out, even in August. So there were tons of lines for trick-or-treating. She said you can either do rides or characters or not both, and the line for Aww. Jack and Sally was two and a half hours to meet Jack and Sally. That's wild because one of the big draws in past years was how empty it looked. Exactly. I know. So I think, you know, in this, it has become a lot more popular and now it sells out and it seems like they oversell. It could be just because it's gotten so popular. It has. Yeah. I think, you know, on Instagram, seeing the special parade and unique characters it goes a lot further than it used to. Yeah, and I know we have a tendency to blame everything on Instagram. Always. But <laughs> Instagram. But it is, it's still festive. She said she, she still enjoyed it. I'll still share pictures of my adorable four-year-old nephew dressed Aww. as Peter Pan, and he had a blast, and he got to meet Minnie dressed as a witch, and Cute. and they got to see the special parade. I think just knowing this is something she, she's been going to for years, and it it hasn't, I think this is the worst in terms of crowds yet. So if you're going, it's still going to be a special event. You're still going to have a blast and the kids are still going to enjoy it and yourselves, you're still going to enjoy it. But just be prepared for crowds and be prepared. It's good to, to go in with that mentality. It is. Don't expect yeah. the emptiness that you've maybe seen on the gram in past years. Yep. Prepare for crowds, but it's still going to be awesome. Yep. And you might need to post up for a spot for the parade a little bit earlier than you might have in past years. But it's still going to be fun. It's still going to be Halloween-y. And Even though it's August. Yeah, we recommend <laughs> at least giving it a try and then, you know, let us know what you guys yeah, think. Yeah, report back. Report back. Okay, so, so with that, go ahead. I have some exciting news this week. A little exciting news. <laughs> we have a listener submission. It came by text from my friend Brad, who knows that I love kind of a darker, maybe somewhat more depressing tip. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> On brand for me. Right. So he wrote in with something to investigate that he had heard just rumors and he's heard this a bunch of times that you know how most of Walt Disney's original films don't have mothers or parents right. in them. So he heard that that was influenced by Walt Disney's personal life and the loss of his mother at a young age. Okay. And that because of the grief he experienced with that, he translated that into all his films and made either parents who died kind of on screen, kind of off, like in Bambi, or no parents in the picture. Like Snow White, where she's like, yeah, abandoned and has a wicked stepmother. So, (laughs) well, that's Cinderella, but yeah. (laughs) I looked this up, and Snopes has declared it false. 
So I will explain that. But there's actually a very, you know, we talk a lot about how Walt Disney's life really inspires us. And there is a really good inspiring story that comes out of this. Okay. So Walt's mother did die and he did feel a lot of guilt and obviously a lot of grief over her death. So the story behind that um, is that she died in 1938, um, shortly after the success of Snow White and Walt and Roy finally had a lot of money. They were stable. Their business was doing well. And that was a huge, you know, personal success for them since they had come overcome so much to get to that point. So kind of in a celebration of having money and stability, they bought their parents a new home in North Hollywood. Shortly after moving in, Walt's mother started complaining about issues with the gas furnace in the new house. And they sent someone, yeah, you can tell where this is going and it's really (laughs) depressing. So shortly after there was problems with the gas furnace, they sent someone from the studio to come fix it. It never fully fixed You know, she wrote a letter, Walt's mom, Flora, wrote a letter to her daughter describing the wonderful new home, but again, in that letter, was complaining about fumes from the furnace, and a few days after that letter, she died of asphyxiation caused by the fumes at age 70. Oh my god. So, really, really horrible story, and the fact that it's linked to this gift, you know, of this home that Roy and Walt Disney bought their parents has to be... I just can't even imagine how horrible that must be and to be riding on the success of all these things in your business life yeah. and have something so terrible happen in your personal wow, life. Oh, what a tragedy. I know. So it is one of those things when you look at Walt Disney and I think now looking back on his life, it's easy to see him as someone who was at the peak of success and changed so many things that are still relevant today and you lose sight of those little things that he really had to overcome to do wow. all the amazing things that he did. Oh my goodness. But there is no way that that couldn't have in some way influenced those stories and the way that they so, took yes. Okay. Yeah. So it has been... Snopes did call it false mm-hmm. because a lot of those stories were adapted from right. fairy tales where the mother is already dead. True. There's already a stepmother who's evil. There, yes. you know, So <laughs> it wasn't as a direct influence as his mom died moving forward. There's not going to be moms in the films. And right. I think that's it's not like how... he's, you know, like Taylor Swift writes about, writes all new songs about all of her ex-boyfriends <laughs> because of life experiences. It's more, exactly. maybe it influenced his choices of the type of, of source material that he used, but it mm-hmm. but it wasn't like he was going out and writing all of these new Right. So here. and I think you'll see sometimes when you Google this fact, there's a lot of headlines that are like the tragic reason that Disney characters don't have moms. Clickbaity headlines. Right, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. It's like it, I think it wraps up nicely as a good tale to draw that parallel between right. those two, but it's not exactly true. Right. Or at least not true as simple as that. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I don't know. It you know, definitely is a dark, really depressing fact, but I do love, you know, seeing that in light of everything else he went on to do after that, because right. that still was very early on in early Disney on. history. It's the year after Snow White. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So to go back from something that just had to be so tragic and so hard to deal with it's amazing not only that he went on to keep doing amazing things but went on to be such a provider of happiness um, for families and children moving forward that's a theme that we keep coming back to is like the failures and the tragedies in Walt's life that that inspire us to create parallels with our own lives and keep moving forward and make us more impressed by the man that he was so 
No, that's great. That's actually a really good. My my today I learned is something else that I hope will continue to ha- help us have an appreciation for everything that Disney has contributed outside of what we see immediately before us. So that's you know part of why Jess and I started this podcast was because we wanted to talk about some of the ways that Disney has changed not just the film or theme park industry. But, you know, other industries in our lives and work in ways that we might not see immediately. We've already talked about things like how the Pixar imaging computer changed medicine and aeronautics and how Disney helped invent stereo sound. I've got a new one for you today. Uh, Today I learned that Disney invented storyboards and the process of storyboarding. Jess and I both work in advertising and marketing. So we work with creatives who do this a lot. So this is something that even not working specifically in the film and TV or theme park industry is something that that affects how our creatives might storyboard commercials or different things like that. So for anyone who doesn't work in a creative industry, storyboarding is essentially exactly what it sounds like, the process of laying out illustrations or images or pieces of a story in sequence so that you can basically get a sense of the story before it becomes whatever it becomes. So a film, a commercial, a theme park ride, etc. And storyboarding, going back to sort of staying in the same era that Jess was in, it was developed at the Walt Disney Studios in the 1930s and was used for the first time in a major way on the development of what major? Was it Snow White? Snow White, on development of Snow White, that historically important 1930s movie. Again, perfect little segue here. So, yes, in in order to make that first full-length animated feature ever, they had to basically invent a lot of the processes to do so, and this was just one of them. That's wild because it's something, you know, we see it so often today, both in our jobs and just in the industry at Mm -hmm. large. I had no idea that it came from Disney. Because it also just feels like such an intuitive process that just is one of those things that's been around of forever. Of course you like, like yeah, <laughs> right. on a board. Yeah, it, it just feels like it's something that's been pe- part of that creative process forever. But when that medium of film and animation didn't really exist before, why would you really have needed that? You don't storyboard mm-hmm. out a book. You don't – so anyway. So I thought that was really interesting. And I found – I'm obviously going to go into a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Yes. <laughs> so I found a book – a couple a couple different things to say on this. I found a book called Storyboarding a Critical History mm. by someone named Chris Pallant. I can add a link to it in our show notes. And one thing is that this process that Disney created basically almost immediately went on to impact the rest of the film industry at the time and continually now. This book says that Disney can also said to have made an impact on live action pre-production via the work of William Cameron Menzies on Gone with the Wind. Snow White and the Seven Seven Dwarves was released while producer David O. Selznick was making important decisions about the planning of his spectacular adaptation of Margaret Mitchell's 1936 novel and reportedly became interested in the idea of storyboarding this project when his vice president told him about Disney's storyboards for Snow White. So basically someone who was working on Gone with the Wind heard about this process and immediately used it to start helping them storyboard out Gone with the Wind. So the impact on the industry was immediate. Immediate. And then, going into (laughs) another rabbit hole, this process was then also used as part of Disney's development of Disneyland 
and his theme parks. So when you walk through Disneyland, when you walk through Disney World, any part of the world, an attraction, a queue, you can see that there are very well thought out story elements. And every everything you walk through, every step you take builds on whatever story you're seeing around you. There's a quote from the Imagineering Guide to the Magic Kingdom that I found via the blog allears.net. And it basically said that Walt was our first Imagineer. As soon as he began developing the ideas for Disneyland, he started recruiting others to help him realize this dream. They approached this task much the same as they would a film project. They wrote stories, drew storyboards, created inspirational art, assigned the production tasks to the various film-based disciplines, and built the whole thing from scratch. So basically, as this blog said, first they designed the story, then they designed the park. So... Again, another great part of that article was about something we sort of already know about Disney, how every detail is thought through in minutia. That is because every Disney attraction, every inch of the parks has a backstory. And there are a lot of incredible ones. We could do podcasts on each of them, but just to use, yes, this is a lot of fodder for future podcasts, (laughs) but just to use one example from this same blog of sort of one little inch of the park that was storyboarded out and has a whole rich backstory, this blog talks about Ye Old Christmas Shop in Liberty Square. Liberty Square is in the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. And he says, If you look closely at the exterior of the Christmas store, you can see aspects of the backstory. It appears to have originally been three separate colonial-style buildings or storefronts, a perfume shop, a silversmith, and an antique shop. Over the years, the original shops changed hands and later housed a music teacher shop, a woodcarver shop, and the third became the home of a German family, the Keppels, named for Walt Disney's grandfather, Keppel Disney. So now, it says the next time you visit Liberty Square, take a few minutes to wander around ye old Christmas shop, look for the musical instruments, tools, and wooden toys left by the former occupants. So that's... I love that. Yeah. So all of that came from from storyboarding this out, from giving it a backstory. So now you have that fact about storyboards, and you can go to Liberty Square in the Magic Kingdom and check out how the ye old Christmas shop looks like three different buildings. Well, that's something for me that really turned me into a real Disney fan, because I grew up going to the parks. There's the nostalgia aspect, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I started going with a cast member who kind of pointed out all these little details and really told me about the thinking that went into it that, to me, transformed it from just the fun theme park experience to something that, you know, every detail is so perfect and just something that is a lot more than what you initially think it is. That's another thing about Liberty Square that's one of my favorite details is that there's sort of a divot in the middle of the street and that's because basically people would throw their waste (laughs) into the street and it acted as a way to sort of get it out out of the street. So even down to the details of how of waste management of the colonial era, like those things are are captured in Liberty Square. I know there's also the idea that some of the windows, what are they called? The shutters are hanging haphazardly off the windows, and that's a design detail. It's basically because at the time it was really hard to come across iron. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of availability of iron during the war. And they would hang shutters on the windows using leather straps. And the leather would obviously sort of stretch as leather does. And that's why the shutters sort of hang haphazardly. So that's another fun thing. I actually had a very interesting Uber ride the other day. Oh, yeah? driver who his day job was working in manufacturing of signs and like 
sign technology. Okay. Um, and he was telling me, we ended up talking about neon because I'd gone to the neon museum and he was saying that nobody really buys neon anymore because it's so expensive. Yeah. It's hard to work with, but they had an order from California Adventure for the sign at flows yes. to be neon to keep it authentic. Oh my gosh. Which I love. I caught the neons turning on last night. Oh, it's at, so magical. <laughs> yeah. At one moment, what song do they play? They play uh, uh, Shaboom by The Chords. If you're at Disney's California Adventure in Cars Land at just the right time, at golden hour in the evening, they turn the neons on and they play Shaboom by The Chords, and it's a really nice magical moment where it mirrors that exact scene in Cars. Just one quick segue. Yesterday, I went to Lamplight Lounge. The, you got in. Yeah, I got into Lamplight Lounge, the reimagined Cove Bar on Pixar Pier at Disneyland in California Adventure. And something that I just wanted, you know, I feel bad saying it, but I think they did a good job with all of Pixar Pier. There's so many incredible details. We were so impressed by Incredicoaster and everything around there. But Lamplight Lounge, honestly, to me, and I'd love to hear our listeners thought feels like a little bit of an afterthought mm. because inside there's still some old things left over from from Ariel's grotto there's still some things that feel like they're just left over from the old pier there's a random not sign left not intention mm. yeah there there's a random sign that's you know has a one of the seven dwarves on it which just doesn't it feels really out of place when everything is so particularly pixar and there's also all of the liquor bottles still have little orange stickers on them that say Ariel's Grotto. Hmm. So in this world where we come to, you know, I, I think you and we commented on it when we were there. We felt a little bit taken out of it because of because some of those details were overlooked, and we've now been conditioned to look for all, all the of these incredible details. details and backstory. So. I don't know. I don't want to pick on them too hard because Pixar Pier is great, but... And it did open very quickly. It did, yes. Um, but that's interesting. I'm actually going to Pixar Pier right after recording this. Excellent. I I think my goal for today is to finally go on the Incredicoaster. So I'll <gasps> you keep can you posted. do it! It's so wonderful. It's I think so wonderful. My issue is also I tend to like eat right before the opportunity to go on it. <laughs> so I'm not going to eat today. I'll have like a churro until I go on yeah. the coaster. It honestly, it's... It's more impressive than I imagined it could be. It's amazing how re-theming a ride or experience can really change how it makes you feel and can just adding that those story elements to, you know, what is the exact same ride system and what was already a really thrilling roller coaster could make it something that's so new and special and I think you're I think you're really going to love it. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm a little scared, but I'll keep Don't be posting. scared. Don't be scared. I think you can't even day. tell you're going upside down. It's wonderful. <laughs> Text me when you go on and I will. send send I'll post to the gram. Yes, post post some Instagrams for us. Thanks so much for listening. If you like our podcast, don't forget to like us, subscribe to us, leave a review if you're feeling extra generous. <laughs> if you have a hot tip for us to investigate or something you want us to talk about, there's a submission form on our website, TILDisney.com. You can always DM us on Instagram at TILDisney. You can follow us too. And you can email us at TILDisneyPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.